Hello, welcome to another episode of the Legacy Investing Podcast. I'm Nate and I'm joined as always by my good friend Josh. Hey mate, how are we doing? Good mate, how are you? Going well. Yeah. What's going on? Oh, not a Sunny lot. Canberra? Just, um, sunny Canberra. It's like hot one day, cold the next here at the moment, but um, no, it's good getting my year 11 and 12 math and physics on again. Yeah, cool. Good, good fun. How, how, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm doing okay. You're um, doing okay? Yeah, doing all right. Good. Really? <laughs> so, yeah, we get through. Um, I'm struggling with a bit of a persistent COVID cough here, so um, we'll see how my voice holds up. But hey, man, we got an exciting episode today, don't we? This is a very first. It's only taken 49 episodes, but this 49. is a very first. <laughs> Why don't you uh, yeah. introduce our special yeah, we, guest today? Yeah, we're going to introduce. Uh, so Tristan's going to join us today. He's going to talk all things. Well, maybe not all things, but most things Bitcoin. And um, so we wanted to, you know, obviously discuss what it is. It's been obviously a fairly um, talked about, um, you know, topic. And we wanted to probably get someone on here who knows a lot more about it than we do because we are very noob at uh, Bitcoin. Definitely and, um, Tristan's our man. Tristan. Sorry. Hi. Hi, uh, internet world. <laughs> How's everyone going? Um, so what is this the first for? Am I your first special guest? Yeah, you are yeah. our first special guest. Ah, well, yeah. that's an honour. We had to we had to kick it off with a bang, so you know. Yeah, we, we waited. We waited. <laughs> yeah, mate. Cool. Welcome. So, um, I guess we'll we'll kick straight in. Well, I mean, we want to know a lot of things, but I mean, do you want to start by explaining what like, what is Bitcoin? It obviously gets sort of thrown into the currency. Or is it an asset? Or what? What is Bitcoin? Well, I think the textbook answer to that is is the world's first digital monetary network. Um. Uh, what is it beyond that? It is many things. It is digital property. It is the highest form of sound money it is hope i'll leave it at that how's that well you often hear the um digital gold i mean i've heard that digital gold thing thrown around mm. um so it often get gets likened to the i guess the new world gold but a digital form i've i've heard it called sort of um you know bitcoin's almost a, a little bit like a digital bank um i think i think it's probably is that are they terms that I mean you all have heard about them? But I mean, how do how do you explain them in terms of um, Bitcoin? Is it's obviously not a currency. I, I don't. My understanding is it's not really a currency. It's more of an it's more of an asset or a store of wealth or a, a yeah. against inflation or something like that. A little bit like what gold, I guess, was. And, it, yeah. and it, well, um, yeah. So all of those. Um, things that you're likening Bitcoin to there are true, um, but it is, I, I would say it's more than that as well. Um, but okay, so digital gold, well, that, that would be the, the sound money part of what I just said earlier. Um, gold has traditionally been seen as sound money. Yep. Um, and um, Bitcoin is a new representation of, of sound money, which um, improves upon some of the um, downsides that we've got with gold um the next question you're probably going to say is what is sound money 
That's I, feel so, I feel so unqualified to be talking about this, um, but um, from my what I understand sound money to be, that would be um, a store of um, store of value that cannot be inflated away or debased by a central authority. Yeah. So um, my goal, without some cost to that authority. So gold, for an example, uh, is sound money because um, let's say your your king has gold as the money of the of his empire. Um, in order for him or her to make more gold, they have to do a lot of work to get more gold. You got to dig it out of the ground and refine it. Um, and so in that, that's what makes gold sound in an inflationary sense. Like it can't be debased very easily. Um, yeah. Really hard to find more of it. Makes sense. There's another, there's another side to sound money. Um, which would be, uh, does it degrade over time? So, uh, and that's, uh, again, gold is a, is a metal that does not rust and doesn't decay. So you can, you can get your gold and sit it there and come back in a hundred years time and it's still going to be gold sitting there equal yeah. to the mic that it was when you put it there. Not true of other metals, other thing, other, um, yeah, other things that you might, Find a money at an extreme end. If you were to say tomatoes are money or are sound money, well, they're not because you've put them in your storeroom and you come back five days yeah. later and you can't. So they don't hold their property. So they're the they're the two. I think um, there, there's another, I believe, another um, factor for sound money, and that would be that it's um, a, a medium of exchange. I think. Well, it makes sense. Like that's, I guess, why we got fiat currency as well, which is a medium of exchange. Yeah. So it's well, or not, yeah. So in a, for a medium exchange sense, I suppose it has to be um, something that is exchangeable for other goods. Yep. Um. Uh, that's probably all I'll say on that on that front. Well, I think you touched on it there um, briefly and we can probably dig into it a little bit more. Um, like the thesis for Bitcoin, one of the best ones I've heard is that it is a bit of a hedge against inflation. You mentioned sort of um, inflation and and sort of the devalue. That's why a lot of people will say, you know, I guess the story for Bitcoin is that that sort of hedge. Is that part of the thesis of why Bitcoin um, would be a sound investment? Yeah, well, I suppose this is where I can go on my one-hour-long monologue as to why I think people should consider Bitcoin as a as a, a place to store their value. Um, I recognise that I'm not a financial advisor, and uh, this would be Neither the information that I would give to you. However, Bitcoin is also is a property; it's not a security, so. Um, I, you actually can talk about property and whether you think people should buy property or not. So, um, so what would I want to get across as to what, why you might consider 
putting some of your value into Bitcoin. Um, well, the obvious one would be, and it's the reason why we're here probably and the why you have a podcast is, is because you, you think the dollar value of that asset is going to go up into the future. Um, and Bitcoin terms, we would say money go, uh, number go up, number go up technology. Um, <laughs> and so in the next, so, so that's a reason is because I think that the number is going to go up. Why is the number going to go up? Well, the number goes up because money flow into the asset, right? So, um, uh, when you are trying to buy a, a stock, you're trying to buy it before other people think it's a good idea. Get in front of the money flow. So you, you catch that upside. Um, so I think that there is money going to be flowing into Bitcoin over the next 10 years. Um, and I can give you a few um, simple reasons why I would, I think that's true. Um, the, the first one and the, the easiest one for me is um, around demographics. Um, I think it is, I mean, I just spit out a couple of things that I think is true and I think you will too. Um, number one, I think it's true that um, let's call them the baby boomer generation. Yeah. It's far less likely to allocate capital to Bitcoin than a millennial or a Gen X person. Uh, I think that's true. That, and I think that that even bears out in my own life. Like I own Bitcoin and my dad doesn't. So yeah. Yeah. Um, what else is true? It's also true that um, boomers at this point in time have control of most of the capital around the globe. When I say have control, I my dad owns more assets than I do. Um, uh, who's the head of the Westpac Bank? Is he a boomer or is he a millennial? Uh, who's the head of that hedge fund or the family office? Who has most of the capital? And I think the, the baby, baby boomer generation does have most of the capital. Yeah. I think it's something like 80%. But don't quote me. It's a lot. Um, so that's true. The other thing that's also true is that the baby boomer generation is um, passing, going to be passing that capital on to the millennial generation through retirement or worse, death. So, um, so what you've got is most of the capital in the world is going to flow into a different generation, uh, demographic change. And we've stated, I've stated before that the, the new generation is far more likely, I think, to allocate some of that to Bitcoin. Mm. Now we can put numbers around that. Or I can put rough numbers around that. I think the global equity markets like 200 trillion. Um, the global bond market is similar-ish. And then some people also um, factor in um, global debt on top of that, which is, a, which is another 400 trillion or so. But let's just say, let's just ignore the debt and I'll just, I'll just talk about equities and bonds. Um, what if it, and property as well. Um, well, let's imagine that the millennial, as they get control of the capital, is I'm going to allocate 5% to Bitcoin 
for digital assets. And I'll speak in the whole digital asset space now rather than just purely Bitcoin. Let's say they're going to allocate 5% to the digital asset space, which includes all cryptos. Um, and that, so that's 5% of uh, 400 uh, trillion, which is uh, 20 trillion. A lot. 20 trillion. trillion? 20, uh, so that's, yeah, that's 20. 20 it is trillion. 20, 20 trillion. Yeah, yeah, I got that wrong. 20 trillion. Good math. So, so if, if purely them can get in control of the capital, is going to flow 20 trillion into the space. What's the digital asset space current market cap? It's about 2 trillion, maybe 3 trillion, but let's just say 2 trillion. So you got 20 trillion coming at 2 trillion. So that whole asset space, just purely from that demographic shift, is going to grow 10 times. Yeah. Bitcoin I think, I think is Bitcoin's half, a trillion, isn't it? It's half of that digital asset yeah. space, roughly. Yep. So it's about it's a bit less. Obviously, we've corrected a bit in the last few weeks, but um, for argument's sake, it's a trillion. So, and let's imagine half of it flows to Bitcoin. That's 10, mm. 10 trillion goes to Bitcoin ten, ten times. So, I've just made a reasonable case over the next ten years for number go up. So you're saying the the money flow from your you know just purely on a, an age related thing you know the okay. boomers you know might only assign you know point you know x to Bitcoin and then yeah. you know, as that money flows into um, younger generations they're going to go oh well I want my I want some of my assets to be more in um, you know the crypto space or Bitcoin and you're saying that point x percent that is currently there it's going to yeah. flow up to maybe Two, even two, three, four percent is going to be a big flow, and that that alone is going to that alone is going to push up Bitcoin the price you're talking. And the Bitcoin maximalist part of me is going to say that it's all going to flow there, but for other reasons. But but let's just ignore that for the time being, and, and just imagine it's five percent. Could be ten, could be two, could be zero, could be yeah. hundred. Um, so that's a reason why you might consider it. There, there's other. There are other um, reasons why I think uh, the number is going to go up, um, and it's not something I'm well versed in. But um, I'll just say there's uh, geopolitical game theory going on right now. That's something along the lines of, um, well, if if you don't, as a as a sovereign nation, if if you don't buy buy Bitcoin now. Um, and other sovereign nations do, well, you're going to be in a bad position down the line because now you're going to have be forced to buy it at a higher price. Mm. So there's a there's an element there to say for the sovereign nations to buy some now. And if a sovereign nation buys like Bitcoin and, and puts it as a reserve asset, um, that's that's I don't know how many trillions that is, but a lot. A lot of trillions. Um, <laughs> that's another money flow reason. Um, why? And, and there's a whole lot behind that. The game theory, I think, um, prisoner's dilemma, which is a economic um, game theory at a simple level, which I'm not going to go into because I'm not good enough. Um, so that's another reason. Um, another simple reason would be, um, would be yeah. Well, the really wealthy people in this world, which I'm assuming is us, um, have a lot of 
um, capital on the sidelines and a lot, they might have a lot of cash. And, um, obviously we've seen inflation take off over the last, last year or two, but it's actually, you know, the debasement of currency relative to the sort of stuff that people want to buy has been consistently being debased. Um, the S&P index is at an average of like 15% a year. Um, so if you're a super rich person sitting on $50 million, um, you might, you might want to allocate that to something that can't be debased or that is scarce. And, and Bitcoin is, has perfect scarcity relative to other things. Um, I can just explain that a little bit more probably. Um, why is, how is Bitcoin perfectly scarce and what is, what does that mean and why, why is it a good thing? Um, well, let's take, um, why does your property value go up here in Brisbane or in Canberra? Um, it's because it's really hard to make new property, uh, to develop new land. So you've got a certain amount of scarcity there. Um, so when you've got money flowing into the space, the supply doesn't react very quickly, so the prices go up. Um, Bitcoin has a hard cap limit of 21 million Bitcoin. Um, so that's the equivalent of the whole earth, let's say, being divided up into property. There's no more earth. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that 21 million, and, and there's a consistent uh, issuance rate to get to that 21 million. Um, so it has... It's the only property in the, in the world, really, apart from other cryptocurrencies that might be a copy of it or the one or the other, um, that has that perfect scarcity, um, or that perfect price inelasticity, I think you'd call it, where, um, usually property prices go up. That incentivizes developers to go find more land, mm. but they release more land, mm. which, brings property prices back down again. Um, whereas, and, and gold is the same. The gold price goes up. Miners open up new fronts of their mines. As the gold price is high, or they open up old mines, yeah. they increase the supply of gold. Bitcoin, that can't happen. Price of Bitcoin goes up. The issuance rate does not change. So there's a finite number of Bitcoin, which was written, I guess, into the, when it was created. Yeah, whoever the code into the code, the algorithm, it's, that's it. It, that's, it doesn't change. And that's 21 million Bitcoins. Um, so, and I think about 4 million of them have been lost. So it's actually only 17 million. Right. <laughs> Crazy. So I, I got a question around that. So you just answered sure. half of it, um, Nate, by saying how it was only 21 million being written into the code essentially. But like, how come that can't change? Mm. Um, I'm not going to be able to answer that in any technical way. No problem. I'm not a cryptographer. Um, uh, well, uh, well, might be, um, maybe I could use an analogy. Uh, how the internet, internet runs on a protocol TCP IP. Okay. Um, what stops TCP IP changing? Um, there's no one central authority control of TCP IP. 
and no one person can jump in and change. I assume I'm not a comms engineer either, but um, no one person can get in and change TCP/IP because well, their computer just won't work anymore, and everyone else's will. Um, that's probably a similar thing. That's a similar thing as I understand it on the Bitcoin network is a decentralized uh, algorithm. So if you were to go in and try and change your version of it, well, then you just wouldn't be on the Bitcoin network anymore. For that to change, you would have to get cooperation from all of the other users on the network to change yeah. it. And that ain't happened. Um, it's makes been sense. tried once in the past to uh, change, not the issuance, uh, not the 21 million, but it was, they were trying to change the size of the blocks, the megabyte size of the blocks called the Block Wars, uh, happened 2017-ish, I think. And um, the, what happened is a big bunch of people, the miners, wanted to change the protocol. And the node operators, um, the general general Joe Blows like you and me, did not, and, and obviously other people who were influential in the space, did not want change. And the miners, even though they were probably monetarily more powerful than everyone else. And they ran the mining network. The Coinbase was involved in this, the massive company in the States. They wanted it changed. They couldn't change it because yeah. so it's very resistant to change. In fact, I would say it's impossible to change. Like herding cats. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good analogy. <laughs> Bitcoin's like herding cats. Yeah, good one. Oh, well, maybe that's not a good one. <laughs> um, I think I I got this question from your uh, what you're talking about before. You're saying, uh, you know, you think Bitcoin's going to be the only coin or one of the only coins in the future. So my question yeah. is, you know, what are your thoughts on other coins such as you know Ethereum? Like, I guess that's probably this, the other one that you think of when you think of crypto. And I know like a lot of NFT spaces purchase through Ethereum. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on Ethereum and what are your thoughts moving forward as to why Bitcoin may be the only coin? Uh, I'm not sure that Bitcoin will be the only coin, but that was maybe a flippant remark. Um, but I want to. what I would like to say is that Bitcoin is extremely different to all other crypto. It is set apart and it is not. There's, and so, uh, what maybe a way to think of it would be, uh, if a Bitcoin is gold, uh, gold existed from thousands of years, been used as a store of value for thousands of years. Ethereum is a technology stock. Ethereum is like an Apple stock. Um, they're trying to solve different problems. That, or they're, they're trying to be different things. Um, I think Ethereum has, there's been some push in the social media circles to say Ethereum is, Ethereum is, is sound money, but it, it's, um, it would not pass that test if you were to ask anyone looking to invest their money over a long period of time. Um, primarily because it's, it, it changes. It has a central, a sort of a centralized authority in the Ethereum developers and the, the people who, um, given a lot of Ethereum before Ethereum was released to the public market, the pre-mine, yeah. they call it. It is 
it has a very different governance structure that's that's more centralized and and then so on and so forth into all the other alternative cryptos i would just say they're playing a different game in my mind they're playing a game on the current financial systems football field bitcoin is trying to create another football field or another game entirely because the current financial system that game is a losing game i believe that that game is only going to end one way in a in a in a debt reset or or hyperinflationary crash mm-hmm. whereas uh, and bitcoin is is trying to it's a it's a bridge across to another um bedrock upon which our financial system could exist and very different goals yeah very different no, that was a good explanation thank you not to say that i own ethereum too like to me it's a tech stock kind of um and it's probably got huge amounts of upside too number go up it's probably got it's got a lot of number go up reasons too mm-hmm. um all those nfts are getting built on it and so on and so forth but different Ethereum is not finite, though, is it? It's not. There's not a set. It's it's more of a no. Um, right. It's yeah. not, but it's. Oh, I'm pretty sure Ethereum is not. No, it's not finite, but its issuance rate has been fiddled with over time. Yeah. So, um, at the moment, I'm pretty sure Ethereum is deflationary. So, um, there's more more Ethereum being burned than there is being issued. So the supply of Ethereum is actually going down, which is one. Uh, because of a change they made recently. Um, so if that were trend to work and to, to continue, um, don't, you would get to a point where there would be no more Ethereum um, being issued. But yep. uh, the, that's changed in the last 12 months that came about through a change from the governance structure of Ethereum. So that's a changing monetary policy. How can you, you can't trust that that's going to continue on. Mm. Whereas if Bitcoin, you can trust that it's going to continue on as it always has been, it always will be. Um, so yeah, that was your, that was an answer to your question. Wasn't it? That was a good answer. Yes. <laughs> so just the, the, the bull case for Bitcoin, I guess, is around like, so America and a lot of the governments are just printing money at, at insane levels at the moment and, and sort of deflating, um, you know, our $1,000 pre-COVID might have bought us X, but, you know, the same same amount of money right now is is costing you sort of $1,300. I think in the last year, the US government has printed almost 30% more money. There's more, 30% more money m- money in the actual, um, you know, cycling around. And and I think asset prices have done roughly similar. Um, and, that, and that's part of the case for, I guess, Bitcoin. It's not, it's... You know the the case is that it's not going to devalue our you know our it's a store of money. What's the what's the bear or the negative? You know, could it go to zero? It still feels a bit speculative at this point. Um, it does feel like it's getting a bit more mainstream. You got some big guys like um, what's his name, Sailor Michael Sailor. Yeah, he's a very big advocate, and I recommend anyone get on YouTube and check out his um interview with Tucker Carson. Tucker Carson. Yeah, Tucker Carson. Yeah, it's a, it's a good um. It's a good explanation. You're going to get about 500 analogies, which is great. It makes it quite easy to understand. But um, is there, 
you know, is there a, are there risks? Is there a bear case? Why? There are lots of risks around digital assets. Um, like you, there's your risks about close my door. Um, there are there are risks around um, how you how you take ownership of it and how secure yeah. you do that. And like, can it can be stolen from you in certain cases if you don't take proper ownership of it. Um, there's other there's other risks as well, especially in the near term. I think there's different there's more risks in the near term than long term. I think like um, near term risks like if the United States decided it didn't like and I'm going to talk about Bitcoin here, if it didn't like Bitcoin anymore, um, it could do things to make it very difficult to acquire it. Um, like regulate regulate Yeah, well, that would be like that would be not just regulation, that would be undermining and trying to, to kill it. Um, that's a bare case. Like they they have the capability to like turn off the on ramps to Bitcoin. So it's illegal for you to transfer your US dollars to this exchange and buy Bitcoin with it. They'll, they'll turn off the, the the conduit to get your US dollars to that exchange. Right. Will that kill Bitcoin? No, because they can only regulate their own sphere. And yeah. um, and I think game theory would suggest that other nations would go would see the opportunity and go pro Bitcoin, try and suck the capital across to their own countries yeah. and suck the talent over. That's a bear case, for example, that government can damage it in the near in the near term. Definitely cause like big price drawdowns. Hell, even Elon Musk can co- could probably not now, but at <laughs> one time could cause a big price drawdown. Mm. Although I think there was more nuance to it than just him. But so there's short term risks in that way. I think. Um, what other risks would there be? Like the uh, at the total total one end of the risk curve would be the internet gets switched off globally. Yeah. <laughs> In which case, um, I don't think whether your the price of your Bitcoin is probably not going to be the biggest worry. It's probably going to be where do I find fresh water and um, and that how do I stop this horde of <laughs> marauding people from taking my home from me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, guns and ammo are probably good currency. Uh, that case, but yeah, like with anything, there's risks. But all I'm uh, advocating for is um, is to think about supporting Bitcoin um, and allocating some capital to it mm. because I think it, it's wise to do so. Um, I could I could go on another little diatribe here because I, I, I I gave you a reason. You know, that first reason why look at buying Bitcoin, allocating to it because number go up. I yeah. make more money. Okay. Yeah. There, there are other reasons why you might think about buying Bitcoin or I use the term supporting Bitcoin. Um, and another one would be, um, there are for me moral reasons why I w- I'm a supporter of this technology. Um, and I like to describe it in this way. Um, Nath, you mentioned the money supply growth from the United States mm-hmm. or the debasement of the currency. Um, so more dollars out in the system, 
through ever what whatever mechanism that came about, whether it was low interest rates or quantitative easing, or who knows. But the fact is that it that more money flowing through the system, more money, more monetary units in the system means all the other things in that system go up in price. Principally, the scarce assets go up in price, those that can't react with their supply. Um, so property, we've seen that go up in price. We've seen the share market go up in price in line with the money supply. Um, and so if the government takes actions to increase the money supply, the people that live in those countries get some of the benefits of that. Yeah. They get, at one end, if they get roads built because governments are running deficits and spending more money than they're getting in taxes, they get roads built, they get um, bridges, they'll get stimmy checks, um, they'll get their asset prices that they own go up in price. But there's a lot of countries around the world that don't have functioning governments and functioning central banks. And they are some of the poorest countries and they have um, dollarized. So they use the US dollar as their currency. Mm. Um, and these are some of the poorest nations, some of the poorest people. They get zero of those, of the upside with the debasement of currency. They only get the, the debasement. They don't get bridges. Yeah. They, their dollar just goes not as far. So it's a, so that debasement of currency affects the poorest in the world the most. And so here is a technology um, that has the potential for them to store their value in something that can't be debased. Yes. Now, I recognize, however, the, the price is very volatile, over, but it's been volatile to the upside. If uh, you, sure, Bitcoin's gone from 60,000 to 35,000, but uh, zoom out. And it was at the start of last year, it was like 20,000. And the start of the year before, it was probably like three, you know, it went from like nine to three, I think, during the crash of 2020. So, and then so on and so forth. The volatility is to the upside. So I would say, yeah, give the, the if the poorest people in the world were able to store their value in that a few years ago, they, they've, they've, their wealth has grown quite a lot. Um, versus if they stored it in the US dollar, which they use. Um, so it's a, it's another, and all you need, by the way, to, to, to get Bitcoin is a mobile phone and an internet connection, which most of the poor people have, funnily enough, have. Um, yeah. They don't have a bank to go deposit their money into, but they do have a phone. Mm. Um, so that's one moral reason is to give them uh, an opportunity there. Another reason would be the property rights. I haven't talked about that yet. But if you you own your house, let's say here in, in Australia, um, how, why do you own your house? You you own that because the government says you own it. Um, if the government wasn't there, the only thing that says that you own your house is how well you can defend it. Someone with a bigger stick comes along and Bops you over the head. That's his house now, with no government. Government is there to protect your property rights, and they protect your property rights through through law, and that law is enforced through the through violence in the end. Um, simple example: you leave and go on holidays. Someone goes into your house, uh, 
You come back from holidays. They say, I own this house now. You and the government say they don't. Government gets police force. Police force comes in, exerts violence upon that person and takes them out of the house. So they protect your property rights through, through violence. Um, Bitcoin is revolutionary in this, in this fact. It is the first piece of property that does not require violence to protect your property rights. It does not require a third party to protect your property rights. Um, so what does that mean for some of the poorest in the world? Mm. That means they have a little, maybe somehow are able to get US dollars and save a bit under their mattress. They don't have a bank. Well, the warlord can come around and go, give me your money um, or, or I'll kill you. They say, no, they go, all right, I'll kill you and I'll take your money. Um, now, if let's imagine they are able to store that in Bitcoin, the warlord can't take their money without, without them giving it to them. Hmm. If the warlord kills them, the warlord doesn't get the money. Yeah. So it... Uh, Encourage it, it lowers the uh, someone put it this way, it lowers the return on investment of violence, mm. and um, it uh, it, it encourages um, cooperation and negotiation mm. in extreme circumstances like that. So, that's another um, moral issue that I would say protects property rights. Of some of the most vulnerable people, and on the other end, it protects our own property rights too. If the government decides it doesn't like me owning Bitcoin anymore, well, too bad. You can't take it from me. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's an interesting analogy. I've, I've never ever ever mm. thought about an asset in that kind of moral way. Yeah, like, you think of assets in moral ways, definitely, like, but not like that at all. <laughs> and uh, I would. I had a thought just before this bike, this podcast. I was thinking, you know, I've given number one why I own Bitcoin because number go up. Even if number one did not exist, that there is a really good reason to own it. Even if it's if its number didn't go up and it just held a steady value relative to everything else, like it's not going to go ten times. It's just going to stay, maintain. That there is a really great reason I think to support Bitcoin and to, and I would buy it just on that reason alone. Um, the other flip side of that, the other, not flip side, the other good thing about that reason is it makes it much easier to hold through volatility. If you've got a moral conviction around your investment, um, you, Nath would have heard me say this. He wouldn't have heard me say this about Ethereum, but he would have heard me say this about Bitcoin. I will ride Bitcoin to zero. <laughs> I will, because I am, I'm morally behind it. Mm. Yeah. Um, which is unlike, I mean, even in my opinion, with limited knowledge, uh, it, it would be, it would be strange for it to go to zero. It's a little bit like you were talking about before the web. It would be strange for the internet to, to be gone. You know, there might be a web point three or, or whatever it is. Um, so forth, but I mean, it, it would be strange, I think for Bitcoin to go to zero and just looking at it now and researching a little bit, it's a fantastic technology. And, and, and like you said, there's some really good reasons there around you know, moral and, you know, the inflow of money coming from the baby boomers, the millennials and, you know, institutional investors are getting on now. I, I think even think Ray Dalio, who's considered to be one of the best macro investors in the world, 
He's now allocated, is it 5% of his portfolio? Uh, I think it was, he was recommending one to three. One to, so he's recommending one to three. Now, if every institutional investor or big hedge fund starts to, um, you know, even take that position, you're going to have a big inflow of money. Um, but I just want to backtrack a little bit back to, you know, you're talking about the property rights. There's, there's really two ways, you know, you can buy Bitcoin, obviously on um, you know, different platforms. And there's a lot of different platforms now. Um, now, if I was to buy Bitcoin on um, you know, Binance or um, SwiftX or, or um, Independent Reserve or something, they hold your Bitcoin, and and you kind of have that's their, that's your digital wallet, right? So they are kind of your um, harboring it for you, custodian. Yeah, they're the, yeah, the custodying it for you. The safest way to do it is to have your own personal wallet. It's, it is a bit of a process. Um, yeah. Um, that's correct. Yeah, it's it, but um, that's that, and you know, you're talking about you know someone can steal your, you know, your your money and kill you and stuff. But you know, that's that's how they wouldn't get your Bitcoin, is it? Basically, yeah. if, you, if you hold your own wallet, you've got this big epic long password encryption. It, it's it's really you know unless they got that, that's the only way that they can. Steal. The only way they can get it is if they um, get you to tell them your passphrase. Yeah. Um, and they need to extract that from your brain. So, um, yeah, that's the nuance in there. There's different ways to custody Bitcoin. Um, you can, at the very one end, leave it on the exchange. But, uh, or, and then there's, at the other end, you can self-custody it and run your own node. There are the two extremes. And then there's um, what I've done, which is I self-custody it on a hardware mm -hmm. wallet. Yeah, which means that um, the Bitcoin can't move unless I've got that hardware pl wallet plugged in and logged into. Mm. Um, if I lose that, oh, that's a little USB thing. If I yep. lose that USB thing, like that's it's actually a key, um, is what it is. Um, I can buy another one and restore the restore it as the key with yep. my with my passphrase. So yeah, and the, and there's a couple in the in the middle there which are a bit different and. Um, where you can have like your key on your mobile phone, um, and and even there's some other ones called uh, stuff called multi-sig, which I actually haven't got my head around yet. Which is another um, even more secure self-custody um, solution where in order for the Bitcoin to move, you need multiple parties to sign that transaction, not just yourself. Yeah, that's like instead of me just using my ledger and plugging it in and authorizing the transaction, you need two other people to do it as well. Mm. So they're all, um, so in that, in that case, like take the warlord from the, the warlord and the poor person, let's say, uh, not only do they need to negotiate with that one person, they need to now negotiate with the other two. Those other two people might not even be in the same country. So anyway, well, you can't, they can't move it even if they want to. Yeah. Um, so, that's that property rights um, thing. What was another one? What did I write down here? Oh, yeah. Here's another cool thing to think about. Um, and it's the monetization. It's what we've grown up with this. And it, it's only really occurred to me, not, not that I have any unique thought of my own. I just listen to people smarter than me. And I take on what they say. And if I agree, but this one, um, uh, it's the money. It was actually Michael Saylor who, who said, 
things that have utility, like things that are useful to us, should not be treated as money. Mm. Um, money being a store of value. There's a difference between money and currency. Um, so a good example of that would be property here in Australia. Property here has been has been monetized. Um, mm. I think the the 70s, for example, um, buying an investment property probably wasn't a very popular thing to do. In fact, I'm sure it wasn't um, because people didn't think of property as a way to store or grow their wealth, really. It wasn't a... Just a living thing where you live. It was just a... It was just where you lived. Yeah. And um, but now, and there's reasons why this has come about, I would say. But now, property is is taken on a monetary premium as well as its utility value. So, um, my house here and where I live, maybe you know, half of it might be the value of it because of its utility, like desirability as a home. The other half of it is because People are speculating or trying to store their value in property now. So the money flow has gone into property instead of keeping it in the bank as savings. Or um, because we all know keeping it in the bank as savings, that those dollar values are getting debased and all the asset prices are rising around you. So you need to put it into the assets, which monetizes those assets. And so um, what's happened is properties have been monetized. Um, they're now, now they're out of reach of a large portion of our population who can't afford to own their own home. I don't think that's right. I think owning your own place to live is kind of almost a fundamental right to me, um, which no longer exists. And again, I'll you imagine for a second that groceries became monetized and now the loaf of bread wasn't just $5. People were putting, were buying loaves of bread and and storing them as money, the price of bread triples, doubles, or whatever. Um, obviously, that won't happen because bread isn't isn't good money. It degrades. It'll it'll fall apart and get moldy. But that's another another thing. And, and what Bitcoin is is a another asset. In fact, a perfect asset to store your value. And the theory would be over time, it will suck the monetization out of things like property mm. um, and into itself because it is the perfect money. Property is not the perfect money because it can be more properties get, more properties come online, they develop more land, you've got to pay tax on it, you've got tenants, they're annoying, etc. <laughs> can you speak uh, about that, Josh, annoying tenants? You've got good tenants, mate. I've got I've got very good tenants, so I can't really speak about. It. I might be the annoying tenant. So, Josh <laughs> is one of these investors, Tristan, that's pushing up uh, all the property prices. Well, I, that's the other thing. I, I did want to say I'm not I'm not saying that um, you know, tut 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 to anyone else. No. We're all operate, and this is probably a bit the bigger issue. We're all operating in this system. Yeah, the monetary system that we have, where people, where I would say that the money. The dollars are corrupt, and that the poison uh, poisoning of the dollars um, has pushed has changed incentives for people, and it has all these negative effects um, because the money is being being debased. If the money wasn't being debased, if the dollars Australian dollars were a sound 
place to store your money and then um, you wouldn't probably be as interested in buying an investment property because you would, could just save it in the bank and you're gonna and you'll get your good interest rate or whatever yeah. um, which was probably the case in the 70s yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I, uh, that, that brings me to another question here and I'm, I'm cognizant of everybody's time here so cut me off if you need to I could go on right? <laughs> this is the tip of the I'm going to have to do a part two <laughs> all right well yeah I want to ask this one anyway. so obviously uh, with all the money stimulus that's been happening recently um, the stock market's having a, a few little shudders with regards to the stimulus stopping and interest mm -hmm. rates coming up and I believe I was talking to Nate before this and they'll you know we're discussing uh, US's I didn't get too much information ever but regulation of Bitcoin as well like where do you see you know do you see interest rates affecting Bitcoin or crypto's price in general or and like where do you see the regu like with regards to the regulation happening or that may happen what what do you see that doing yeah. to Bitcoin I'm just uh well uh do I see, does the Bitcoin price react to the monetary policies coming out of the States? Mm. In the short term, certainly does. Um, it's, it's, it's still a young asset and probably seen by, by um, the large investors as similar to a tech stock or a risky asset. So it'll de-risk when price of money goes up um, or as interest rates rise. Um, you'll see the rotation out of it. I think we saw that in the last few months that that price, the price downtrend of Bitcoin and all the tech stocks and indeed all the equity markets is, is that. So I think in the short term, it definitely is, is affected by that, but it's, it's also, it gets affected on the other side of that when they ease and the, the effect for Bitcoin when they ease is like, 10 times what it is when they tighten. So it, it, well, I would say that. So it'll pull back, pull back, but you watch when they ease again, it'll freaking go to the moon again, way more than it pulled back. So it's got this volatility to the upside, my prediction for what it's worth. Um, what was the second part? Oh, the regulation. Regulation. Um, and that announced, there was a, yeah, an article came out saying, just overnight saying, the, um, Biden administration. So the White House is going to issue an executive order for all of the um, institutions to um, regulate cryptocurrency, digital assets. I don't like to use the term cryptocurrency. Um, to regulate digital assets um, and um, use the national security um, sort of impetus for doing so. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, what, what that national security line means, I'm not sure, but maybe at a simple level, it means, guys, get your shit together and sort this out. Because at the moment, the regulations in a lot of corners are grey. We've got, I think Bitcoin's been quite clear. Bitcoin has less um, ambiguity to it. Like the SEC has said it's property. Um, the Federal Reserve Chairman has said it's property. Um, it's not a security. Uh, whereas all the other ones, they're up for debate. So, um, Ethereum definitely could go either way. And then anything else, 
Uh, I think Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC, has been pretty clear that he considers them all securities. And so I suppose I think, personally, this is a really good thing for the whole space in general to give clarity because um, large allocators of money and institutions need clarity when they're investing in something. They need regulatory clarity and there's a lot of grey areas right now. So if they could get rid of the grey, then they can invest with clarity. Whether it's going to be good for all crypto, or all digital assets, I'm not sure. I think there's a half decent chance it's going to be very, pretty bad for some of the altcoins um, because they're going to see them as securities. Then they're going to be, um, if they do deem them securities, then anyone holding and exchanging and trading them is going to be deemed as um, trading in unregistered securities, which would be a crime or not great in their eyes. So I can see them making some big moves against and locking up all those things until they register properly and pay their fine. And I don't know. That. Regular, that could affect Bitcoin as well in a tail kind of way as liquidity gets locked up across the systems and things. But I think in the long term, it's a good thing. Very good. Beautiful. Cool. Maybe um, I'll save my last point for part two because it's, it's not as... You're going to give us a tease for part two, are you? I can give you a tease. Give us a it tease. Would be the, um, it would be the environment. Um, um, so I've said, you know, why, why consider Bitcoin? Um, uh, because number go up, number one, two, because morals, um, and three, because environment. Um, uh, you'll, you would have seen that there's a bit of a narrative out there and people are considered to be uneducated that it's bad for the environment, um, because it requires energy to produce Bitcoin. I don't think that's, that's not true. In fact, I think it encourages the development of green energy and the build-out of green energy. Um, or it encourages the build-out of zero-cost power, which is green power. Yeah. Um, so we can put that to one side and maybe talk about it another time because there's so much cool stuff around that. Mm. Look forward um, to it. So I, I think from a, um, as I've started to understand Bitcoin a bit more, I think from a legacy point of view, Josh, I think, it's, you know, we go back to our initial principles of, of understanding a business. I mean, we can throw that into Bitcoin then and under, understanding bit, Bitcoin, how it works, what, what to do, why, you know, what's the thesis for it and why is it a store of wealth? I think if I started to understand it, I've um, appreciated it a little bit more. I think it's probably worth, uh, you know, um, you know, a deeper dive as well. And, and, but I mean, I'm starting to come around to why it's, um, why, why it is valuable, like what it, what it is. Thanks to Tristan and many other, um, expert professional people who I've been, um, researching, but, um, yeah, Tristan, thanks for, uh, thanks for your time today. First special guest. I feel like we should, um, you know, give you something, but, um, anyway, you can have, we, can, we can do a virtual, a yeah, virtual <laughs> high fives around. Yep. Well, we'll pay you in Bitcoin. Because yeah, yeah. we're because we're moving to a, a, a part two then, which is super exciting. Because like you guys, I can talk about this stuff for hours. Um, before part two, where would you recommend people go to to get a little bit of uh, extra education on Bitcoin and digital asset space? Yeah, uh, like if you want to read a lot, um, let me just Google it right now. I'm pretty sure Sailor Sailor Academy. 
Yeah, look, Michael Saylor is the biggest guy that I've seen who is a he's just a big, big advocate for this. And yeah. I mean, he's a, I mean he's a, Tristan knows more about him than me. He's a super smart, isn't he? An aeronautical engineer or something. He's a rocket, yeah, he's a rocket scientist. He's a, he's a, he's a guy, CEO of a multi million dollar, maybe billion dollar company. Yeah. Um, for MicroStrategy. Um, and he, he's seen probably all the, a lot of the things I talked about today. And he, he's actually, Allocating all of his company's uh, reserves to Bitcoin yeah. wherever yeah, wow. they can, not holding it in cash because they're a cash rich, cash rich company. Yeah. And the, he sees it as the apex asset to put that cash into. Um, he, but he's just a really good, uh, guy talking in metaphors and making things understandable. I think someone said once, uh, rocket scientists, uh, if you can understand what they're talking about, it's pretty hard to find a rocket scientist that's actually can, be relatable. Well, he, he's one that is. Um, so along those lines, if you were to just to Google Michael Saylor, Tucker Carlson, that was a really good interview. Mm. Um, if you want a less formal one, which he just did two days ago, um, there's a, a podcast called Up Only, and he just did an interview on Up Only with Kobe. That one is great. I, I really like that one. Um, oh. Outside of Michael Saylor, you could read a book called The Price of Tomorrow by Jeff Booth. Um, you could read The Bitcoin Standard by Safadina Moose. Um, he's also just released the Fiat Standard, which talks more about the Fiat systems and how they suck. Um, uh, and also, I really like, uh, there's another guy called um, Greg Foss, who is a bond trader. He comes at Bitcoin from an insurance perspective because it's insurance. Okay. Um, it's an interesting angle. Obviously, I've given you a few angles today. There's other angles. Um, I've had the insurance one before. Let's let's talk about that next time because I think that's a really interesting way of viewing it. And um, yeah, it's a good one. Cool. Yeah, cool. cool. Yeah, well, thanks, team, and thanks, Tristan, for for coming on, and um, thanks to the listeners for tuning into another episode of the Legacy Investing Podcast. Uh, we'll catch you all next week. See you, Josh. See you, Tristan. Thanks, See you guys. Later, internet world. <laughs> thanks, guys. Bye. Yeah. All information on the Legacy Investing Podcast is the opinions of the host and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal, or tax advice. The host of the Legacy Investing Podcast and any contributors to the podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should consult a licensed financial professional.